Each episode of Education with an Edge is meant to create, cultivate, and inspire honest discussion about issues affecting youth. Hosted by author, artist, educator, advocate, and speaker, Jaquel Lane. Hello and welcome. This is Jaquel Lane and Education with an Edge. And we are here with Dr. Patricia Newman of Respect. Welcome, Patricia. How are you? Good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you so very much for being here on the show with us today. So um, I was so very honored to have met Dr. Newman through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Chip Thompson. And, um, you know, I am so very interested, A, about your organization, Respect, and how you're helping students in our community and uh, what you're doing for them and what all types of the program and all the aspects that that encompasses. But since this podcast is geared towards young people, um, people that need inspiration, teachers, educators, mentors, and community members, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, such as your background information and maybe how you grew up and where you grew up, Patricia? I could do that. Um, You know, I was one of those kids that was from what they used to call like a dysfunctional family. And now being a child psychologist, I realized I was just really from a family um, that had a lot of stressors. But um, I was a kid who grew up in a lot of places because my dad was in the military. Uh, But my parents got divorced when I was five. And then I didn't see my dad again until my 20s when I went and found him. And so my mom was a single mom and I had two younger brothers. I was the oldest. And then I had a younger brother who had real severe juvenile diabetes. So he had a lot of problems and we moved around a lot. I was in nine different schools. My mom was married like three times and we were super poor. And, um, I was baptized a lot of times, um, like five times. Oh, wow. Um, I did. I did. Well, and you know, but it does help you. It helps, you know, um, as you get older, you realize there's more commonality than differences. Absolutely. Uh, But in the moment, and you're a child, I I have to admit it's stressful. So there was just a lot of um, chaos and stress um, in my life. Um, um, I I was the victim of incest and and child abuse. And then in middle school, um, I went to live with another family in foster care. So um, ended up growing up most of the time in Mason City, Iowa, and then ended up in Omaha in um, going to college and have been here ever since. And I think the thing that I love so much about, and thank you for for being so open and willing to share that with us, on this show, because I think one of the things that I love the most about you, Dr. Newman, is the fact that you have really taken your experiences and your background and you've used those to benefit others in a positive way. You've used that for good, kind of, um, you know, sticking with the philosophy that everything happens for a reason and everyone has a purpose, because there might be a young person that's out there, and and I hope that there is, um, I know that there is, that's maybe going through a similar situation right now, and just to tell them that it's, it's it's never too late and that you can honestly do anything um, that you that you set your mind to. So thank you so very much. Um, looking back on a childhood memory, what did you dream of becoming when you were a young person and why? 
Well, I wish I could say that I wanted to be like a child psychologist or a doctor or something, but I really didn't have that in mind. I really, I've thought about this many, many times, but I really wanted to be, um, I I wanted to grow up to be a nice woman who wore pearls. Really, that's what I wanted to be. (laughs) don't even know. I don't know that anyone where I grew up had pearls, um, not just our family, but anybody. So I don't know where I got that idea. But um, the idea of nice was really yeah. important to me. And I think it's because truly that so many of the teachers that I encountered really, I, I think some of them truly probably saved my life, totally made a significant impact in it. Um, and and that, that's really what I wanted to do. I wasn't really sure about a specific career growing up. Quite frankly, it was more about survival. Sure. Like day day and, and getting through the day and getting things done and being safe. Um, but I had this idea that I just, yeah. Um, they didn't have to be real pearls, I don't right. think. I, right. I had this idea that, you know. I was going to say, and that's like such a teacher uniform, like the pearls with the cardigan. Like I remember when I first started teaching, it was like I had a matching cardigan with like a necklace of some sort. That was like, that's the uniform. No, I I love that because that's also how a child thinks. Right. So that's such an awesome perspective. Right. Um, Can you tell us a little bit? You've had such an illustrious career. and, And when I met you. I just have to say I'm so very grateful for your support of um, all educators and and myself included um, that are helping children and you yourself. I know we're an educator, but you've had such an illustrious career. Can you tell us about your career path and then how you became to be executive director of Respect, which we'll talk about um, later? Uh, well, I started out as an elementary education major because I realized I did want to work with kids. And so I was at Creighton doing that. And then I really wanted to do special education. And uh, so I did a lot of training at Meyer and worked in special education. I particularly liked the kids who had behavioral and emotional um, stressors going on. And that was a long time ago. So special education looked much different than it does now. Um, and so there were a lot of self-contained rooms that, that I worked in. And I worked for Child Protective Services for a while and kind of floated through that, which got me into school psychology. And uh, so I, got, I actually got two master's degrees, one in special education and one in psychology, and then went on to get uh, a doctorate in psychology and um, have uh, clinical psychology and school psychology. So everywhere I went, it was just like more information about how to work with children, much like yourself, and just because it was just fun to learn. And so I was at UNO and UNL, and so I met all of these really inspirational people everywhere I was. And as you know, when you're in the education field, it's not all just book learning. Psychology is like that too, right? There's practicum and curriculum and um, things that you're doing and student teaching and um, those kinds of things. So internships. So a lot of it was very hands-on and uh, gave a lot of opportunities to do those things. So um, you do a lot of volunteer work, right? I I know that you do. (laughs) So one of the things I was asked to do 20 years ago um, for the National Council of Jewish Women, which I was president of, um, was to do something um, to help their national platform on domestic violence prevention. And I asked 
if I could do something on prevention for teens and determined that there was a play on the East Coast, um, that they were using drama to reach audiences. And I thought, well, that'd be great because you could get a whole lot of kids. Right. And I was a psychologist and I was already doing things like role play and behavior rehearsal and social skills training. And I thought, well, that would be great. What if we, you know, were able to reach a whole lot of kids in this really motivating way that would get their attention that a lot of kids could really identify with and respond to. And then we paired it with educational materials and ways for them to interact with a panel afterwards. And uh, we ended up not bringing just one play for that thing I volunteered for, um, for that event um, for high school kids. But that organization also did some bullying programs. And so we brought in all these people from um, uh, the East Coast to do like 13 plays, I think, and for like 30, 40, um, no, 30, 40 plays. No. I can't remember. It was, like, it was a long time. It was 20 years ago, but we did like three to 4,000 kids. That's amazing. And then the, ki- then the committee, when we did the summary um, and the evaluation, they didn't want to end. They said, well, we need this here and we can't keep, you know, we can't afford to keep bringing people in from the coast and our, our actors are just as good. And it's just bloomed to this where we have like a dozen plays, preschool through college and adults all working on things that are short plays built to help people have healthy relationships, um, fun and entertaining, but educational to watch and learn from, but also ways to get people involved up on stage, practice what for you that you can share with someone else that you can try on a skill in a safe environment so that maybe you can make a challenging situation better or, you know, fine tune your own skills. And, and that's what we do. And it's wonderful. We love it. I absolutely love that. And I know that you are such an advocate for the arts as well. And I grew up, I mean, I literally say that that's one of the things that saved me in middle school and high school during those years was just my involvement in drama and music and art. And it simply breaks my heart that those types of programs are cut, um, unfortunately, because of budgets, constraints and things of of that nature, because it does reach so many, so many kids um, on, on such so many spectrums and on so many different levels. And so I love the fact that you have paired a drama with real life scenarios, because that's I mean, as a teacher, you and I both know that that's how students learn the best is to maybe act it out. So um, that's that's wonderful. Um, so many people um, want to know, I mean, I, I want to know more and you and I have talked at length about it, but can you tell us um, about Respect, what it is, what programs you offer, and then how it's helping youth in the Omaha Metro? Oh, I would love to do that. And we actually do, on a normal year, which this is not, um, we provide programs to thirty to 35,000 kids across Nebraska and Iowa. Wow. So we have about 12 educational theater programs. So a program is usually about an hour to an hour and a half long, and it includes a play that is is about half of that and then a corresponding component that is interaction with the audience so we try to get the kids depending on their age as involved and on stage as possible improv role play that kind of thing and our topics have to do with um bullying child abuse safety in social media dating violence um negative peer pressure um we have um 
topics regarding drugs, alcohol, uh, body image, self-harm, depression, suicide, all kinds of those topics. Um, we have programs for college and for adults. And of course, theater is very good because it's very flexible, right? So you individualize it to a particular um, setting. We have um, programs specific to LGBTQ populations where um, uh, we're talking about the impact of um, uh, homophobic bullying and, and the impact on communities. And we're adapting this year even more so with regard to identity-based bullying and the impact that, that COVID-19 has had on specific communities and the racism that, that um, uh, people have experienced regarding that. Um, certainly the anxiety and the depression that has escalated based on what kids have experienced through the pandemic. And uh, additionally, we do workshops that use theater-based techniques and artists in residence programs. And we're, we're data-based, you know, psychologists are always data-based. So we collect pre and post program evaluations and we always collect things from teachers, but we really wanna know from the kids, like before and after, and we have these analyzed independently, um, you know, what did you learn? What will you do differently? Um, do you feel like um, more empathy, more control, like impulse control, um, and, and those kinds of things? So we find that based on several measures that kids do report, even through um, uh, relatively short programs like ours, that they have um, fewer externalizing as well as internalizing behaviors and symptoms related to bullying and being afraid to go to school um, based on learning what they can do, right, um, uh, about bullying and those kinds of behaviors. And and I always say, you know, we're really good. We are we're a great program, but um, it's really not so it is about that, but it's not magic. It's just that kids so much want to learn what to do. Um, they want to know how to help themselves and their friends, right? And as you, as you know, we keep saying this, but as you know, I mean, so they're, they just are like sponges. So if they can practice some things and learn some things, know they're not alone and hear what their peers have to share, and then they can just see it, not just hear it, but see it and try it on. They're so excited that they will. They will put it into play. And, and, and that's our goal is to do that. And because we're flexible, we can, you know, sync with what school is doing and the counselors and the teachers and reinforce that element as well. Thank you so very much for, for that explanation, because I'm just, I'm sitting here. And as you're talking, I'm thinking about, it was a while ago, but myself as a young person, if I would have had if I could have paired drama, something that I loved, with acting out scenarios, it really would have saved me later on the on down the line in life in some situations where maybe I, I wish that things would have gone differently or I wish that I would have been more empowered because I think um, that's what we're seeing with children. And I, I know that you see this on a daily basis, that children want to be empowered and confident and feel good about themselves. And oftentimes in those formative years, like, you know, middle school and entering into high school, but also elementary as well. And we could even take it into adults. You know, if you feel, if someone makes you feel small, we don't have the skills to know how to deal with that. So that's absolutely genius that you and your team have have formulated this concept because I can see actually acting it out, it becomes almost like a muscle memory 
for if you're confronted with a situation down the line. Right. So, and, and I say, if we don't tell, if, if you know, kids, there's always a reason for what kids do, right? And so if we don't give them, if somebody doesn't give them information about why what they're doing isn't acceptable to us, and then also not just please don't do this because of this, but also a substitute behavior, right? I mean, they need to know what they can do to get attention. Um, what are they supposed to do? What would we expect? Why would we expect that, you know, that child who's hitting somebody to get the cookie, what are they going to do when they're in fifth grade or they're, you know, um, in a dating relationship or, or whatever? I mean, why would that progression change if that behavior always works to get their needs met? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah. I love that you say that replacing maybe a negative behavior with a more positive one that will yield more positive reactions from others. Um, and, and your organization is helping, helping students to do that. Um, you know, everyone has a why and, uh, you know, what is your, I know that you're so very passionate about children and education, but, but what would you say is your why and why are you so passionate about what you do? My, these were great questions, by the way. <laughs> um, so good. They really made me think. And, and you ask questions that people don't normally ask me. They usually start like much later in my career and so forth. But my why is that I would never want a child to grow up like I did if I could do anything to change it. And um, because, and, and not to feel sorry for myself, but because it's not very productive it's really sad. You have to work through a lot of things. And, um, and because it doesn't take very much, not as much as you'd think, to change it. You don't need to take someone in. You don't need to give them a million dollars. Um, it's really so often just the smaller, littler kindnesses that make a difference or role modeling or teaching a skill or, you know, just the small things. Um, you know, I, we, we've had kids, you know, one skill that we teach all the time is the, the stop, think, how can I help? You know, and we've had so many kids and parents and teachers say how just that skill has just made such a difference for kids. They don't get in trouble anymore, kids will tell us, you know, and um, um, or they start their sentence with, I want, I need instead of you are, you should. And just the little things to help make you be successful, Right. Or when someone maybe tells you that, you know, when, when you see like everybody, lots of people in the room raise their hand because they feel like sometimes they've been worried or sad and you realize you're not alone. I mean, sometimes just those little things can be so powerful. And, and, and that's what that, that's my that's my why. And, and I, I, I think once again, just going to the back back to the fact that if there's a young person and we know that there are that are out there that are, are going through some of the things, the way that you've taken your experience and turned this into something beautiful is extremely admirable and, and uncommon, right? We know the statistics. Um, and so, but I think, I think that, that that's absolutely amazing. Um, and you're definitely carrying out a wonderful mission. Um, if you had to pick one issue that is affecting youth right now, what would it be? And what do you feel is maybe the single biggest issue concerning youth? Well, probably right now it's managing 
the uncertainty and the anxiety of COVID-19. Probably most of the kids that I interact with in any way right now um, on a personal or professional level right now, the uncertainty of the future, how that, you know, some kids express anger and some anxiety and um, some feel very alone and then trying to figure out how their family members are responding about that, worry about family members and uh, just adapting to so many changes at one time that don't seem to, like we were talking about before the program. I mean, it'd be one thing if you could just adapt to one set of changes, but they just come in and, and, and their impact, their, their, uh, the impact of, of media uh, on them, particularly with, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, some of the kids that I work with would maybe not see so much of this media about um, pandemic type issues as they do because it's really frightening to them. Yeah. It's, it's very traumatic. And I think, um, you know, from a psych, from your perspective, from a psychologist's perspective, it's a, it's going to be interesting, um, you know, trauma on the brain and how much trauma just seeing those images played over and over and over, um, is even doing to adults. I mean, I have to, I have to check myself and kind of go to my call meditation app once in a while and <laughs> turn off the, turn off the TV. And while I want to be informed, it, it does, it's so inundating even as an adult. So, um, thank you for the work that you're doing with children, because I, I can imagine that that many, that many children are extremely, extremely frightened right now. And, and to the point as well, that as humans, we like to be in control. We want to be planful. And there have been so many events in young people's lives that have been postponed or canceled. And so uh, obviously, you know, things that their parents or even, you know, certainly grandparents had never gone through, um, you know, just things like proms being canceled and, you know, monumental events, graduations, you know, things of that nature um, and having to cope with that kind of a loss uh, will, will, you know, is, is an interesting thing to navigate. Um, so what can our listeners do to help with respect? I mean, what, what can they do to get involved? Is there volunteer opportunities? Can they, um, donate and, and, you know, help, you know, sponsor children to come to your programs? What can our, uh, listeners do to help? Because I know that they're going to want to. Oh, well, we actually have, um, a virtual fundraiser on August 6th. And um, it's very easy to get into. And so you could go to our website and learn all about that. And we're going to be showing people our new programming for the fall, which is um, we're going to be doing all of our programming uh, via Zoom and being able to do some distance learning with kids so that we can reach out to kids and still be available to them. And we are going to be focusing on some different content issues as well as um, our typical programming offerings that I, I shared with you. So um, staging more conversations about um, race and identity-based bullying and the diversity that that um, our whole country is struggling with right now, um, as well as the impact of um, having lived so far this year with uh, 
being pretty isolated um, due to COVID-19. So um, their feelings, what to do with it, how, how to support yourself and your family, how to get comfort. Um, so those kinds of things. So um, we'll be showing those and, and um, through this fundraiser. So I'll, I'll give you, um, obviously, our, our website address. They could certainly do that. Certainly available to come to schools. We have a lot of great community partners and a lot of wonderful community partners that are also donors and we have scholarships. We're always glad to talk to people about um, working on a grant or coming to do a lunch and learn or talk to you about what we do. So there's just a million ways to get us to come out and have a conversation with you because that's what we do and we love it. Um, but, you know, really also just just remember everybody. I think it's so important. You know, role modeling is so important. And you're always a role model, right? And so just a kindness and just to listen to a child and let them be special in the moment and um, understand that, you know, whatever they're feeling in the moment really comes from a genuine place for almost every child I've ever worked with, even if it maybe doesn't make so much sense to us with our adult brains right now. And uh, they probably need a lot of compassion and care right now. Absolutely. Thank you. Because I, I know that I myself and a lot of people are out there, our listeners are going to want and want to get involved and help you in, in any way that we can because you're doing great things. And please remember that August 6th date, we'll mention that at the end of the program as well, the virtual fundraiser. So thank you for sharing. Um, if there was one thing uh, that you would want people to know about the effects of bullying, what would it be? It would be that, Bullying affects everybody. You know, people often think that it focuses simply on the person who is the target of the bullying. But really, the behavior of bullying impacts everybody. It impacts the people who are the bystanders, who are in the environment. Um, it, even the person who's doing the bullying probably has a history um, of very likely having been um, been the target of bullying themselves or, or misunderstanding relationships or feeling not happy themselves. Something's not quite right um, in how they perceive relationships and power. So, um, and, and then that affects community, right? It, it affects community. So um, bullying behavior impacts everybody. It, it, and um, so it's, I think it's important to see it as, um, is is not an isolated behavior, but as something that if we all accept some responsibility for, um, you know, helping to take care of, it will make society and our world a better place. Absolutely. I think I like to tell my students, you know, you get back what you put out. So if you're showing up in a loving, caring, compassionate, positive way, that's what you're going to get back. And if you know, and we can work on ways to to cope when when maybe we don't feel like showing up that way because we all have those days too. But I I really really like like how you how you put that. Um, what can the community do and parents do especially to combat bullying? I think get involved and learn and listen and. It, you know, it's, I don't think it's necessary to try and find someone to blame. I think we want to help, right? I, I never feel like it's really necessary to blame. It doesn't mean that 
someone might not be responsible for something, but I don't think we necessarily have to find people to blame. I think we want to figure out the problem and find supports and help um, and, you know, understand why it's happening and provide the support where it's needed because something's missing. And for the kids that we see, no matter where they're at, you know, in that triangle of are they a bystander or are they doing bullying or, you know, um, um, are, are they the target or it is all interactive and probably everybody fits maybe to some degree in one of those positions throughout their lifetime. And so it's all, I think, part of being a person, but we can make it a whole lot better if we try. And so I think if we look at our own behavior and we're willing to learn, we can make it better. Absolutely. And that's exactly what, what you and your organization are doing. Um, Okay. So I like to ask everyone this question at the end. Um, what if you were to say, if someone were to ask you what you would want your legacy to be, what would it be and why? It would be that I started something, that that I, I started something for someone, that I started a conversation, that I started to make a difference, that I let someone maybe start to think differently about themselves, that maybe they could see a situation them differently um that maybe a situation was hopeful when they didn't think it was perspective absolutely to start, <laughs> to start <laughs> something that's important i mean that yeah. that is extremely important and you help a lot of a lot of people and a lot of kids especially begin to believe in themselves again but begin to love themselves again and i think that that's a legacy in and of itself well, I have to tell you, it can't be done without a great team of staff and, you know, actor educators and a board and funders because it just can't be done without a team. Yes. Right. Yes. So. Well, we are so very, very grateful, Dr. Patricia Newman, that you joined us here today on Education with an Edge. Um, and please tell our audience where where they can find you, what where they can go to your website and, and what that is, or if there's any social media that you'd like to share. Um, they should find us on www.respecttoall.org. And that's the uh, number two. So www.respecttoall.org. And you should find everything there that you need. And we're on Facebook. And uh, so you should find us there. Wonderful. And I'm a follower. I like, I like, I like it on, I like you on Facebook. So um, once again, Dr. Patricia Newman doing amazing things uh, with her organization, Respect, helping students in the community believe in in themselves again and just make our world such a better place. Um, You can find her once again at respect to the number two all.org. And this is Jaquel Lane with Education with an Edge, reminding you that every child matters because they are our future. Thank you so very much for being here with us today, Dr. Newman. I appreciate it very much. If you have a question or just want to learn more, go to JaquelLane.com. Thanks for listening to Education with an Edge. A Parkville Media Production.